Fans of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, the day you've been waiting for is finally here. Season 5 has begun. Watch the first episode of the season, How the New Tax Law Will Affect Your Retirement, at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes post every Sunday. How happy would you say you are? Would you say you're very happy, pretty happy, or not so happy? Back in 1972, 30% of Americans described themselves as very happy. In 2016, exactly the same percentage described themselves as very happy. Over the intervening 44-year period, our standard of living more than doubled. We had twice as much money today as we did 40 years ago, and yet we report no greater level of happiness. And it's not that money can't buy happiness, it's just that we often spend it wrong. That is the inimitable Jonathan Clements of HumbleDollar.com. And today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Jonathan is going to help us stop spending money the wrong way and show us how to enrich our financial lives in just 77 days with his new book, From Here to Financial Happiness. Plus, Big Al's got three things you need to do right now if you want to retire in five years. And Joe and Al answer your questions. Why are there required minimum distributions on employer-sponsored Roth accounts? And can Elizabeth's husband contribute to his defined benefit pension plan and his company 401k. But first, let's see if I can help Joe pronounce our esteemed guest's name correctly. I'm doubtful. Here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. We got our good friend Jonathan Clements on again. What? Why are you laughing, Andy? Clements. Well, it's my Minnesota accent. (laughs) Right? Clements. Jonathan Jonathan. Clements. Everyone knows who Jonathan is. No one knows who the hell I am, so it doesn't matter anyway. People are just listening to this program to listen to Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan has been on the show once before. He's the founder of HumbleDollar.com and the author of nine personal finance books, including his latest, which we're going to talk about, From Here to Financial Happiness, Enrich Your Life in Just 77 Days. He was born in England, educated at Cambridge University. Uh, Jonathan spent almost two decades at the Wall Street Journal in New York, where he was the newspaper's personal finance columnist. Uh, He also worked six years at Citigroup as the Director of Financial Education for the U.S. Wealth Management Business. He's got a brand new book coming out. I'm really excited to talk to him about it. Without further ado, Jonathan, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Joe. Hey, so here's an interesting title, which I love, From Here to Financial Happiness, Enrich Your Life in Just 77 Days. And so you say, well, how am I going to get you from here to financial happiness in 77 days? The book really grew out of two issues that I feel very strongly about. One is that it's not enough just to know what to do with your money. You really need to find some way to get yourself to actually do it. Behavior change is is a huge issue. I think even more important than educating yourself about money. And second, and I'm sure you know this from your own work, that there's far too much emphasis on people's portfolios and not nearly enough in their broader financial life. And for people to make smart financial decisions, they need to look beyond the stocks and bonds and mutual funds that they own and think about what it is they really want from their money, What do they want to achieve with their financial life? And what does it mean not just for the investments they own, but also for their debts, for the insurance they have, for their estate plan, what's their house, what sort of financial ambitions they have for their kids and sending them to college? It covers a whole slew of topics beyond just that portfolio mix. Really good points here. I think the biggest is, you know, I kind of always equate this to like the diet industry. You know, there's always a new diet or there's an exercise book or an exercise video or whatever, uh, but it's still a big problem. People say, hey, I want to lose weight. And and it's fairly easy to do in a sense. Just eat right and exercise, get some sleep. But it's a lot easier said than done. 
And I think financially, we're, we're exactly the same. It's like, okay, I need to save a little bit more money. I need to control my debt, my spending, uh, but still look at the mess that we're in financially. So what are some of the steps that you're helping us with? How do I take action? How do I get off the couch? How do I take that jog or start organizing my financial life? Well, before I answer that, Joe, let's just dial back a minute. I just want to address what you just said. You know, if simply knowing what to do was enough, I would be out of business. Nobody would be reading my stuff. Nobody would be buying my books. And you would be out of business because nobody would need a financial planner. They could go on the Internet. They could read a couple of articles and they'd be away. But the fact is we all need to be pushed in order to behave better. And there are a whole host of ways that we can push ourselves to behave better. Uh, one is to hire somebody to help us. There's nothing like public scrutiny to make us act if I tell myself I'm going to go to the gym in the morning, it's so easy to roll over and go back to sleep. But if I tell my wife I'm going to go to the gym in the morning, I got to go or I'm going to get a whole <laughs> bunch of grief. So what I try to do with the book is, first of all, get people to visualize what sort of financial future they want. I mean, it's so easy to look after our current selves and so hard to take care of our future selves. Our current selves are sitting right there. They're like the needy, crying baby. They get pretty much everything they want. It's our poor future self whom we're forever shortchanging. So somehow we have to make our future self seem more important. And one way we can do that is to start to describe the better life that we want in greater detail. And if we do that, if we really say something beyond just, oh, yeah, I want the kids to go to college or, oh, yeah, someday I want to buy a house and someday I want to retire. If you start to think specifically about what sort of house you want in what neighborhood with what features if you think about what i'm going to do when i retire how am i going to spend those days you start to bring those financial dreams alive suddenly you can be much more motivated to act so we have 77 days i got the book i'm ready to go what do i do that first week or that first day do i start just visualizing a little bit more of what i want is that kind of the first steps here and then get very detailed in in some of the goals that i'm trying to accomplish well, actually, on day two, what I s say to readers is, okay, imagine that money was not an issue. What would you change about your life? Would you quit your job? Would you change careers? Would you move to another part of the country? Just assume that money wasn't an obstacle. What sort of financial life would you like? As I s clearly state in the book, I'm not promising you that I'm going to be able to make all your financial dreams come true. But unless you know what your financial dreams are, there's no way they're ever going to happen. The reality is we all spend money on stuff that brings us very little happiness. In fact, one of the questions I ask people is, how happy would you say you are? Would you say you're very happy, pretty happy, or not so happy? That question has actually been asked of the American public every other year since 1972. And the results are startling. Over that 44-year period, America's reported level of happiness has not budged. Back in 1972, 30% of Americans describe themselves as very happy. In 2016, when the latest survey was done, 30% of Americans, exactly the same percentage, describe themselves as very happy. Over the intervening 44-year period, our standard of living more than doubled. We had twice as much money today as we did 40 years ago, and yet we report no greater level of happiness. And it's not that money can't buy happiness, it's just that we often spend it wrong. So we need to think really hard about what's the right way to spend our money so we get maximum happiness out of it. That's a great point because I, I'm sure you've seen the same studies of, 
you know, what level of wealth will make someone happy. And then some people will think it's millions and millions of dollars. But it's actually astonishing a fairly low number. It's not millions. It's not, hey, I need $50 million to make me happy. I need maybe an $80,000 job lifestyle. And anything more than that, yes, I get a little incremental happiness, but it's not huge leaps. That maybe, like, that I thought, you know, I was like, well, what's happening? I'm in the money business, I guess, so I always thought, well, you know, you need a lot of money to be happy. But as I get older, and I've been doing this now for 20 years, I find out that what is truly important to you is what's going to make you happy. And you're absolutely right. People spend money on the wrong things. Yeah, so actually, you have the number absolutely right. There's a study from about 10 years ago now that said that day-to-day happiness caps out at about $75,000 in the year in the U.S. It's probably a little bit higher now because of inflation. But interestingly, there was a recent study that replicated the finding in the U.S. and looked at developed countries around the world, and they found exactly the same result. Happiness on a day-to-day level caps out at about $75,000 a year. It doesn't mean that more money wouldn't necessarily make you feel happier, but when we think about feeling happier because we are rich or because we have a very high income, it only happens when we sit back and we think about our position in society. So you can have a multimillionaire who is miserable day to day, but if you say, are you happy? That person will think, sit back and think, hey, I got more money than all of my neighbors. Yeah, of course I'm happy, but he may not really be. <laughs> yeah, you <should> probably not. <laughs> so how do you how do you make me happy, Jonathan? <laughs> so what you need to do is you really need to think hard about how you spend your money, and the way you do that is not to act impulsively. You need to sit down and write down what you want to spend your money on and then put it aside and think about it. One of the steps I encourage people to take in the book is to create a wish list of major expenditures that you want to make in the years ahead. It might be some great vacation. It might be a new car. It might be a vacation cottage. It might be a kitchen remodeling. You draw up that list. You put it on the refrigerator. You come back in a month, and you look at the list, and you say, nah, I don't need that one. Oh, yeah, that that I really like the idea of. And if you do that, if you drop a wish list, you put it aside, you come back to it regularly, what you'll start to do is have a better sense of what you really want to do with your money. And it has a sort of an additional minor benefit, which is in many cases when we spend money, the best part of spending money is the anticipation ahead of the purchase. So if you create a wish list and you imagine, okay, yep, I want to take a trip to South America. Yep, I want a kitchen remodeling. Yep, I want a second home. And you think about those things for a couple of months, even if they never come true, the very fact that you spent a couple of months thinking about them will make your life happier. Interesting. The anticipation is huge. Pardon the interruption. Just a reminder, if you'd like to read a transcript of this interview or listen to Jonathan Clement's previous appearance on Your Money, Your Wealth, where he divulged the secrets to defeating the ingrained instincts that lead us to financial failure, just visit the show notes for this episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. You'll find all the links you need right there in the show notes. I used to do a segment of My Stupid Purchases. And... (laughs) (laughs) And I, um, I'm a king at impulse stupid purchase, um, and w- one of the best ones I think I've. But uh, you know what? Now it's making me happy, Jonathan. I bought like a replica Darth Vader mask, and I think I spent several hundred dollars on this stupid thing. But it is pretty cool. 
and it's in my living room. And I look at that daily when I leave, and I said, you know what? Hey, I guess even though that was probably a pretty stupid purchase, but I'm pretty happy about it now. Um, but I could go on and on about other stupid purchases that I just kick myself in the rear. But I think if you anticipate something, even though you never purchase it, and you start thinking about it, you're right. I, I mean, I think that, that that's it's crazy that <clears throat> that that happens. I mean, the human mind is is absolutely off kiltered when it comes to money. So let's say you're starting to think about. 2019 and what you're going to do next summer, you should start planning those vacations now, thinking about all the different places you might go to, go and see the national parks, travel across the country, go abroad, whatever it is. Imagine all those different vacations you could take. You get to enjoy every one of them in your mind. You'll only ever take one of them in the end, but the fact that you spend time thinking about it is going to make you happier. You could go on wonderful vacations in your own mind. It's a great way to spend time in the office when you're bored. Just think about all the vacations you're going to go on. <laughs> so now I start the, the dreamscape. I'm, I'm writing my wish list. I got it on the fridge. I'm thinking about my vacations. I'm thinking about my new... Um, Darth Vader masks. Yes, my, uh, <laughs> maybe a Yoda outfit. Thank you. <laughs> and so I'm thinking about all of this. Now, what's the next steps for me to even to, to try to accomplish some of this? Instead of thinking about it now, what, what are some other concrete steps that I, that, that I can take into action? So once you decide what it is you really want to do with your money, then you have to figure out how you're going to get there. And there are going to be specific steps that you're going to need to take. And so if you can write down those specific steps that say, I'm going to save $300 every month towards my child's college education, you know, I'm going to try and buy a home within the next two years. You know, I'm going to put enough in my 401k plan every pay period to at least get the company match. You write down those steps. You make a financial commitment, and then you're more likely to follow through. So it's really hugely important to have financial commitments, not just financial commitments in your head, but down on a piece of paper that you can look at and say, have I done that or not? So – putting pen to paper, writing it down, regularly revisiting it and saying, am I doing this? That is hugely helpful. And if you struggle to get over the lip, if you can't really get yourself to act, send the list to your mother. She'll call you up and ask you why you haven't done it. <laughs> Ruthie. Yeah, right. I'll get Ruthie involved. You know, it, uh, Harvard study did something similar uh, when they looked at Harvard grads of putting in a, a business plan or, you know, something really short and sweet. It's like, all right, well, what do you want to accomplish in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And then they broke it out and some people, you know, just thought about it. And then the other people, you know, put pen to paper. And then they looked at them 5, 10 years later. And the people that put pen to paper were much more successful in their overall careers because they wrote it down. You know, we think about things all the time, but the, the power of just putting it on paper and, and it, you know, we talk about financial planning and these big elaborate financial plans, but I mean, they're not worth the paper that they're on if, if they're not really committed to the process. And I think as a financial advisor or planner, one of the biggest frustrations that we have, I think, is, is getting people to really implement and they have to have buying in their own goals first, I think, is what the point is. And then second, they have to be committed. And how do you help being committed to your own goals is just start writing it down and being committed to yourself. And I think that if you cannot get it done, that's when having a financial planner is really important. Because if you can't hold your own feet to the fire and you don't have a mother to send your to-do list to, 
then having a financial planner who you're going to go and see, you know, every three months, every six months, is going to call you up and say, have you done this? Have you got the will? You know, did you buy more life insurance and bug you is hugely important because we all know that we behave better when other people are watching. What other points do you put in your 77-day plan? So I can see I'm visioning now. It's like, all right, now i got to establish some goals, but really concrete goals, writing those goals down. And then from there, looking at some specific action steps, such as, hey, I want to save to the company match, or maybe put another couple hundred dollars in a side account for um, the kitchen remodel and so on. And then, so I got my mom on speed dial. So, you know, when I blow up, I'm calling Ruthie to make sure that she kicks me in the butt. But then where do I continue to develop? Where do, where do I continue to go from here? So I think when you think about the goals that you have, I, I like to think about them in three buckets. So there's the how you want to improve your week to week. Everybody has things during the week that they like to do and things that they like that they dislike doing. So the first step is to think about how can you change your week to week so you spend more time doing the stuff you like and less time on the stuff you don't like. So that's one set of goals. Then two, there are these major expenditures that you want to make in the years ahead. You know, buying the new car, doing the kitchen remodeling, the expensive vacation. And then the third level, there are the major goals. Buying the new house, putting the kids through college, retiring. So you have those three sets of goals. The weekly, the major expenditures, and the big goals out there in the future. And then you need to think about them from a variety of angles. And so it's not just about portfolio. It's also about what does this mean for insurance? How am I going to handle any debt involved? What does it mean for my estate plan? And so in all of these goals, you need to think across your financial life. We tend to be way too bucketed in the way we think about money. So what I do in the book, I don't sort of state this at the outset, but I make sure that we go through not only thinking about goals, but also thinking about your debts, thinking about your estate plan, making sure you have the right insurance, making sure that you're thinking about taxes and making sure that you have your financial affairs organized just in case something happens to you. You know, you don't want to be bequeathing your family a mess. Talking to Jonathan Clement. Clements. Clements. Clement. I like that so much better, Jonathan. I hope you're, you're not offended that I can't. I have a as big, long as you can spell it. I don't Yes, mind. I got a big, thick um, accent, I guess, still from – anyway – uh, 77 days to get to uh, financial happiness. And we, we talked about this a little earlier, but I think this book is so important. We have clients that have millions of dollars that are on the verge of divorce and super unhappy and everything else. So if you have all the money in the world, but you're miserable, what's it all for? And then you run into other people um, that live such a very modest lifestyle, and they're the happiest people on earth. And all you want to do is just, just spend so much more time with them because they make you happy. So I think we talked too much, uh, broad picture of, you know, what is your asset allocation and how do you save money in tax and, you know, looking at um, Roth conversions to tax loss harvesting and creating income dividends and all that other stuff that's important. But if you do that all perfectly, but you're still miserable, what's, who cares? So I think the point of your book, which is phenomenal, is really to identify what makes you happy and then try to get there um, in 77 days. So from suicide to happiness in 77 days. I just retitled it. Wow. (laughs) So when people think about what money can do for them, there are really three things that being smart about money can help you achieve. One, if you're smart about money, 
you don't have to worry about money. And for many people, money is a huge financial concern. It's a big worry. It wrecks their life. So if you can get your finances in order, you won't have to worry about money. And that is a huge achievement. Two, if you have your financial house in order, you can start to spend your days doing what you love. And all the research says that spending our days doing what we love is hugely important. And third, if you get your financial house in order, it'll give you the financial wiggle worm to spend more time with friends and family. And that is the third big boost to happiness. So those three things, not worrying about money, spending your days doing what you love, and spending time with friends and family. If you get your financial house in order, all three of those things can happen. If you want to change your perspective on money, you got to get his book. It's called uh, "What From Here to Financial Happiness, Enrich Your Life in Just 77 Days. Uh, Jonathan, I really appreciate your time. Um, you're such a pleasure to talk to you and such a huge impact uh, in our financial society by, by continuing to do the things you do. You can get more on Jonathan at HumbleDollar.com. That's one of the best uh, websites. I go there often. You have such great uh, content on there. And I don't know where you find time to sleep with everything that you do. <laughs> My wife asked me the same question. <laughs> I really appreciate you, you, you hanging out with me. Okay, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Jonathan. Next week on the podcast, Forbes contributor Jeffrey Levine from Blueprint Wealth Alliance and Kitsis.com tells us about President Trump's new executive order affecting multiple employer retirement plans and the Retirement Enhancement and Savings Act of 2018. In a couple weeks, we'll talk to Qbert from AbandonedCubicle.com about how he's using vacation rental real estate in his plan for early retirement. If you subscribe to the podcast for free at YourMoneyYourWealth.com, you won't miss a thing. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, three things to handle now if you want to retire in five years. This is from Nancy Anderson. Ooh. Is she related? To no, I don't know. Maybe. So, any guesses to what these three things might be? I'm guessing it's something that is not going to be of significant value really <laughs> but <laughs> it could be worth a, a conversation okay the, here's, clean out your garage uh, you're really close <laughs> here's the first one make expensive home repairs okay yeah, all right yeah, yeah. sure i guess i get a couple, couple thoughts there do f- before five years before you retire blow your retirement load on yeah <laughs> up, upgrading on the, on your the kitchen. home of your dream yes dreams. Well, I guess the the thinking is this: if 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 you're planning on moving or downsizing anyway, right after you retire, why not spend the money right now and enjoy it yourself before you actually sell it? So that's that was kind of the thinking in this article. And of course, another thing too is is as long as you're not going into your retirement savings account to do this, it, it, it emotionally gets harder to spend. If you really do want to do some home improvements, it's emotionally harder to, to spend money on that kind of thing after you're retired. So that was the, that was the point of that one. Got it. Yep. Number two, pick up a new hobby or rekindle an old one. And you already started that. Yeah. So does that mean you're five years away from It could retirement? be, Alan. It could very so well could uh, be. I could be like Cupert and retiring <laughs> at 46. You could, right. Or whatever his age was. Yeah. 47, I think. Yeah. We'll call myself. So, and you're so, so you're into golf now. I am. And you've always been into golf, but you've really taken it I've in dialed a big way. it up. Yeah. You, got, you have a coach and everything. Yes, I do. You even got me with your coach. Yes. 
I think I have a, a lesson here in the next day or two as well. Uh, yeah, on yeah. Thursdays, yeah. probably, huh? Yeah, Are yeah. you guys getting better? Uh, it's a process. <laughs> <laughs> it's a process. Well, I, I will say I'm I'm new in this process, and uh, it's it's a relative term because I was so bad that yes, I am definitely getting better. But I actually I've, I've taken lessons before, and I know how this works. It, it you you do a couple things, and you get better, and you get excited, and then they'll start changing other things and you will like lose it. <laughs> I know that's coming. And he warned me about that too. So, but yeah, so far I'm getting better. But yeah, I think that's right, Joe. I mean, um, start your hobbies, uh, get those rolling before retirement. Cause the last thing you want to do is like retire and like now what? Yeah. Right. It's I, like, wow, I'm bored as whatever. Yeah. Actually, I just talked to a uh, former uh, CEO, retired CEO. Okay. Uh, and um, so he was successful companies in his late forties, and so ended up uh, the company sold, and and I guess the buyout was more for the clients as opposed to the management team. So the management team just stepped aside, I, I guess kind of kind of simultaneously, pretty much with the sale, and so he's been out of work for about I'm going to say a month and a half. And that he ended up getting enough proceeds to probably cover his retirement for life. Uh, and, he, and I said, what, what do you think of retirement? He said, it, it's awful. He said, I am so bored you wouldn't believe it. And I think that's the, that sort of speaks to this. I think you, you need to have this kind of thought out before you do it. Because I think the last thing you want to do is to have nothing going on. I mean, he said the first couple of weeks were pretty good because kids sure. are younger. And right. they're out of school and all this. And, and now it's like... Now what? Yeah. Right now he's he's going to get into new company. Is what he's going to do. You know, I played um, golf with a gentleman that retired in his late forties. He's probably in his sixties now. He he was a high end corporate attorney. Um, he's strange as all get out. Yeah. So I, I think his retiring at forty and all it, of a sudden it didn't help. Yeah. Be, because you retire in your late forties or early fifties. Mm-hmm. Who are you hanging out with? Yeah, you call someone up on a Tuesday afternoon and say you want to grab some lunch and a couple of beers. You're you're calling a lot of people <laughs> to be able to do that. Yeah, you are right. It's funny because I just went to a party uh, recently and talked to a guy. He was probably in his sixties. Same thing. He retired in his late forties, and uh, I'm not going to say any names, but a little eccentric. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm, they like to hang out by themselves. Yeah. Then the, the, by all means, because <laughs> you got very little social life during the week. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know this guy going to this party, and I'm just grabbing a beer out of the refrigerator, and he looks at me, and goes, "Hey, how you doing? Tell me about your life, <laughs> just like that." <laughs> wow. Do, do and and what's you? your name? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the moral of that story is have something planned yes. uh, before you retire. The third one, you want to know what that yeah, is? Yeah, we got to speed this thing up. Yeah, dramatically improve your health. <laughs> okay. Well, five years before your retirement? Well, get it rolling, right? Because, uh, you know, it, it, they quoted the Fidelity study, which oh, because says health care and all that. Yeah, you don't healthcare have health care through your employer. And, right. And, and so the, the current uh, uh, analysis by Fidelity says that a couple age 65 over their lifetimes will have to spend about $280,000 for health care. Sure. And there's ways to dramatically reduce that cost just by simply eating better and getting in shape. Yeah, right. Get some sleep. Right. Have something to do, right? have a life purpose yeah 
not just golf. So you're going to have to get another one, too. All right. But that, that's a really good start. I'm going to write a book. You should. How I survived Al Clifford <laughs> for 20 years. I think you and I are going to be doing this show long after we retire. Yes, probably. let's do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was Big Al's List, folks. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, so if you were curious about the three things to handle now um, before you retire in the next five years is what? Revamp your house. Yeah. Ex- do your expense. Find a, find a hobby. Yes. And then uh, get in shape. Get in shape. Yeah. It's all good good advice. Sure. That's assuming you got the financial part figured out. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even go there. No. So what about you? Have you got the financial part of retirement figured out? If you're in Southern California or if you're planning to visit, you're invited to join Pure Financial Advisors Director of Research, Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, for a free lunch and learn at our office in San Diego at 11 a.m. on Thursday, September 27th. Learn how tax reform and the current state of the financial markets could affect your retirement, how to minimize taxes in retirement, and how to set and stick with an appropriate investing strategy. Sign up in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. It's all free and lunch is included. So to register, all you have to do is visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or you can call 888-994-6257. Now it's time to dip into the email bag with financial questions courtesy of Advisor Insights from Investopedia and you, the Your Money, Your Wealth listeners. Joe and Big Al are always willing to answer your money questions, so you can call 888-994-6257 and leave your question in a voicemail or you can email it to us at info at purefinancial.com. We got an email from uh, Michelle. Uh, it says, Hi, Joe Al. I have a question about RMDs. While I understand the reasoning behind uh, the imposition of RMDs on traditional retirement accounts, i.e., Uncle Sam wants retirees to start paying taxes on their deferred savings, this reasoning falls apart for the Roth provisions of employer-sponsored accounts, which are also subject to RMDs. What's the rationale for forcing retirees to draw down their employer-sponsored Roth accounts? Thanks, Michelle. Um, do you want to take a first stab at this, Alan, <laughs> sure. or should I? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Well, I, so uh, a, a typical Roth IRA, there is no required minimum distribution for the original owner. But a, uh, a someone that has a Roth 401k, uh, there is a required minimum distribution at age 70 and a half, unless you're a participant in the plan and you're still working at age 70 and a half for that plan. So it's a, it's a, it's a reasonable question is why is there a difference? Because they're really kind of the same thing in a way. But the, the, my reason is because it's two different areas of the code, the IRS code. One is under 401, uh, which has 401ks. That's a whole different section than in individual retirement accounts, which is 408. And they just have different rules. Right. And I think, it, yeah, and I totally agree with that statement um, because it's either not necessarily laziness, but it's like, why rewrite a section of the code? Right. For a Roth provision on the 401k. Yeah, because it because was, it's it, already under the umbrella of the 401k exactly. plan. And I agree with that as well. So in other words, it's it's like the 40 the 401k code was already there. This was just an add-on to it, and so they didn't. I don't think they even thought about it really. They it just it probably was unintentional. But that's how the law is currently. Now the workaround is you can take your Roth 401k and you can roll it to a regular Roth, Roth IRA, IRA and not have an RMD. So that that's what you do. Sure. Um, what would be the reasoning 
for someone not to do that? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I suppose if, the, if you need to take money out of your Roth anyway, and you've got better, cheaper investment choices in your Roth 401k, I suppose that could be at one. Or maybe there's a little bit better bankruptcy protection in a 401k that's, than IRA. Right. I think that's the only reason. Um, and it's, it, it's not even bankruptcy. It would, it's liability. What is it? it yeah, well, it's, well it's, it's up to the state too because it's a, it's on the a, federal side you, you have pretty good protection on both. Yeah, you, you do, but there's there are limits on IRAs where a couple million bucks. Right, but but uh, if it came from a 401k, you roll it. If it still came from a 401k, it still traces that back to the 401k. That's true. But it's it's different state to state, so I guess it, I don't know what state Michelle lives in. Um Here's another reason. Uh, th- that's it, I think. Yeah, that, that's all I can think uh, of. Right? And so if you don't think you're going to get sued for you know malpractice or something like that, right? And then if you don't think, you know, and I think the bankruptcy laws are a lot better on states and federal when it comes to retirement accounts. It's the liability if you get sued or if you do something, you know, like within your company or, you know. You yeah, and that, and that could be. And we're not attorneys, so we're we not. We are not we're, practicing we're, law. We're just we're we're guessing. guessing. We're BSing we're right guessing, now. We're guessing, right. But here's another thing when it comes to 401k plans, Alan, that you're aware of, but I don't think maybe Michelle or a lot of other people are aware of, is that let's say if you still had Roth dollars in your 401k plan and you wanted to start taking distribution, the distributions come out pro rata. So you can't choose what you want to come out anyway. Yeah, so you might as well roll it. Yes, you have to roll it, in my opinion. I know that's kind of a strong word. That is a strong word. But but what we mean by that is let's say that you have 100 thousand dollars in your retirement account eighty thousand is pre-tax twenty thousand is post-tax in the Roth so that equals your hundred thousand or in another way of saying that twenty percent of the balance of the retirement account is Roth eighty percent is uh, pre-tax right so Michelle's going to take distributions from her account and she's already upset that she's got to take required distributions it makes no sense and I agree with her on that but now what doesn't make any sense at all is that you got to start let's say you take one dollar out of that account well 20 percent of it's going to be tax free 80 percent of it's going to be taxable yeah so you can't say I, I want the Roth side for these dollars right yeah. so the whole purpose of having Roth money and pre-tax money is to control your taxes by determining what is your tax bracket and then pulling the right amount of dollars out of each of those different pools on your call, not necessarily on what the IRS wants you to pull. Yeah, and it's also important to realize that uh, the reason why people have Roth 401ks is because you can put a lot more money into a Roth 401k each year than a regular Roth IRA, $18,500 per person. And there's no income limitation. And there's no income limitation, whereas a regular Roth, it's only $5,500, and at certain income levels, you cannot do a Roth contribution. So a lot of folks have Roth 401ks, but I would agree with you. I think in most cases, you probably would want to roll that out from the Roth 401k to a Roth IRA. So then you have complete discretion and you don't have to take required minimum distributions. You can let them grow over your lifetime. Or when you do take them, they're all tax-free. And the other thing to consider, some people have a Roth 401k, regular 401k, and, and the regular 401k, they have pre-tax money and post-tax money, meaning after-tax money. And so what typically people would do and should do, you take your Roth 401k, you roll that to a Roth IRA, you take your after-tax 
401k money basis, roll that to the Roth IRA, and then roll all the other money to a regular IRA. Now you've got complete control over your distributions in the future. Right. Um, and so this is another huge planning component um, that I want to piggyback on what you just said, Al, is that a lot of people have the ability to put more money into their 401k plan that they might be aware of. Right. And what you're referring to is after-tax contributions. And so 18500 is the max pre-tax contributions, or 24, um, if you are over 50. But the code says, well, wait a minute, if the plan allows it, you can put more dollars into it. And I believe the limit for this year maximum is, what, 55000 Well, I think it's sixty one, Or is it 61000 Yeah, oh. Yeah, because of the 401k catch-up, if you're over 50. Got it. Actually, if you're 50 and older, to be specific. So with that after-tax contribution that you're contributing to the account, you don't get a tax deduction for it, but what you can do with those after-tax dollars is put those into a Roth IRA. And so that's really supercharging, if you will, your Roth dollars, um, which is a key component to it. I mean, of course, you have to be able to afford to save that much. Well, true. <laughs> you have to be, you make at least that much yes, to be able to put right, it in. Right, right, right. You so, can't just write a check. You have to have it come out of your payroll. Yeah, which is another um, thing that people get a little bit confused on is that, well, here, I want to max out this plan. And what are we looking at? What's the date today? It's what well, it's in the middle of September almost. Yeah, yeah. And so we're just got on a Labor Day or yeah, Memorial so, Day so have, or whatever yeah. that day was. Labor Day. Labor, yeah, Day, Labor Day. Vacation. Yeah, yeah right. Yes. Yeah. And we all labored. And yes. then now it's like, what the hell? It's September. The kids are back to school. Right. We only got a few more months left. Yeah, you got three, maybe three and a half. And if you don't have any that have gone into your 401k, you might want to really kind of jumpstart or get a little bit extra withholding. But then you may not have enough take-home pay to cover your bills. So you got you have to look at that, too. Right. You got to start juggling and, and planning. And so this is a really good time to do that. This one's been sitting in the email bag for a while, and we keep forgetting <laughs> about poor Elizabeth. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, Joe... I really hope that uh, you'll and she, be... And she asked you Joe by name. I know, specifically. So that's pretty good. Yes. and the, So she'll never email me again because it took me a couple of weeks <laughs> to answer this. Uh, Joe, I'm really hoping that you will be able to answer my question because I can't seem to get a straight answer. My husband belongs to the Carpenters Union where he contributes to his pension. My question is, can he also contribute to his company's 401k plan? Thank you. Um, I don't know. Is this a trick question? But to me, if I have a pension plan, that's a defined benefit plan. Uh, he's in the Carpenters Union. Um, my father was a carpenter. Yes. And Cabinet uh, maker. Yes, cabinet maker. Made, made some really beautiful cabinets. I know he did, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I'm guessing, and he wasn't in a union, um, but... In any other union or any other defined benefit plan that you have that's totally separate than a defined contribution plan, which is a 401k plan. So my answer to Elizabeth would be yes. I do not see any issue with him fully funding the 401k plan, even though he's a participant in the Carpenters Union defined benefit plan. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. because the, I'm not 100% the, sure. Well, and, and, but the, I mean, so a more general answer, I guess, is where you were going, is, is many companies have a defined benefit plan, which is an employer-paid plan only, and a 401k plan as well. 
And so the employee can contribute to the 401k, whereas the defined benefit is, is, is contributed by the employer. And usually there's a match in the 401k, so the employer is contributing on the defined benefit plan and the 401k. The employee can only contribute on the 401k. So I think that's what we have here as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm 99.9% sure. I'll do a little bit of research on the Carpenters Union Um and we'll send this back out to Elizabeth, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see an issue um, with that. And I think, I don't know, I'm, she kind of set me up there a little bit by saying, you know, can she can't get a straight answer? Right. Guess what I did? You I'm did, not, yeah. giving, I'm not giving her a straight did, answer yeah. because you, of how uh, she's asking me the question. Did you talk in circles? Uh, no, I don't think I talked in circles in this one. I'm, you know, I might have. Okay, but I, I know you like to just do these cold. Yes, and I, I do too. Actually, it's more it's more fun that way. Well, just but then a, we don't always give a great answer. It just shows our either <laughs> our intelligence or, or lack thereof. Yes, very good. Right, um, and that is it. That is it. Next week we got Jeffrey Levine. Uh, so really looking forward to talking to Jeff. He's a CPA, CFP, a whole bunch of different things. Um, a lot more designations than Danelle and I have. I uh, want to thank Andy Lass for producing another wonderful show. Thank you, sir. Uh, for Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. We'll see you next week. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Special thanks to today's guest, Jonathan Clements. Read more from Jonathan, including his new book, From Here to Financial Happiness. Enrich your life in just 77 days on his website at HumbleDollar.com. Subscribe to the podcast at YourMoneyYourWealth.com or find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. If you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, you can email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Happy Tuesday.